as a child, what I found out about my parents, probably most cherished value, was that our kids needed an education. And they thought it came in the classroom. Uh, And I know that my father put off his retirement so that he could get me all the way through school. And uh, I wasn't the first demolar to get a bachelor's degree, but I was the first demolar that we know of to get a uh, master's degree. He wanted it to be an MBA in business. God had other plans. And uh, he willingly allowed me to do that. He would sacrifice many things to make sure that I would get all the education, both me and my three siblings, all the education that they desired. And for that, I will always be grateful. Um, Now, I want you to know that when you go after, at least for me, when you go after a master's degree and you're the first one in your family line to ever get that, it goes to your head a little bit. At least it went to mine. So I was a seminarian, number one, and I was in youth ministry, number two. And parents would send their children to me as a youth minister and say, here, please, take them. Straighten them out. And I thought I could. I can't. But as God works in their lives, he can. The second thing is, because I was studying theology at a renowned seminary, I thought I could straighten them out too. In other words, just give me two hours and I can straighten out your whole parenting style. I wasn't married. I didn't have children. And I came from a non-Christian home telling them how to do it in a Christian context. Now that is called pride. That is called education in the worst possible way. And I want you to know there's been progress in my estimation of what it means to parent these days. You see, as a young man without children, I could say, here's the progression I went through. I went through ten rules for raising perfect children. When most of those rules didn't work, I went to seven guidelines for godly children. I moved on to five strategies for raising good children. And I ended up with three suggestions for surviving parenthood. And those suggestions are the following. First of all, you instruct more by example than by the classroom. In other words, the way I live taught them more than anything in terms of what I would say. Secondly, unconditional love. Oh, that's hard. That's hard. I grew up with conditions. My home had conditions. Unconditional love and third and fourth and probably the most important, just keep praying. God does amazing work as you just keep praying for them. I understand that though they, you know, they, they may not have finished high school at the place where I wanted them to and in terms of grades or faith or relationships or anything else, God wasn't done with them yet and he's still not. In fact, there's a rumor going around that he's not done with me yet. And I'm one of his chief pieces of work. I'm a real piece of work. So we're at that point now where, like me, a man who never had children and is never recorded to have been married, is telling these people eight, ten years out of uh, out of pagan uh, worship, uh, he's telling them this is what it means to be married in the Lord. And he's also telling them 
this is what it means to parent in the Lord. And he's telling the children, this is what it means to parent your parents in the Lord. No, he's telling them, this is what it means to be children in the Lord. And the amazing thing is that as he does this, because again, understand that here is a a portion of my bookshelf that I went through. Now, you'll say, how come they're all from the 70s and 80s? Yes. That is when I was most interested in becoming a Christian parent. But more than that, uh, as he is explaining to them, he, he doesn't, uh, he, he doesn't get into the fine details. He just goes back to the scriptures that he had learned as a child, and he looks at these parents understanding this is all brand new to them. These families do not understand what it means to be in a Christian home. And it doesn't have to be super spiritual, but there has to be some sense of order and connectivity. There has to be some sense of how do these relationships work. And so he gives us in four simple verses all you need to know about the Christian family. Four verses. And I get 35 minutes for those four verses. Uh, Understand that uh, the first three of these verses are for children. Here's how you relate to your parents. So on the way home, parents, you can say, did you get those? I I, I want you to know what I learned about you this morning, okay? One verse is for the parents, but especially for the dads. Of those first three verses, two of them are quoting Old Testament scripture. So you got to understand what what you know what the Apostle Paul do uh, Paul is doing here is just painting it with broad brushstrokes what it means to parent, and especially one of those geared to fathers, and he uses that last one because this is where fathers usually mess up. So I want you to know that Christian parent for them two thousand years ago is as different as the Christian life was for them two thousand years ago. And for us, Christian parenting or relating to our parents is as different for us now as living for Christ is now. It fits together. So this part of Ephesians, this 19th message, is parenting and it's the big picture. And before I get into those four verses, I just want you to know that maybe there's some things about parenting that you might assume or you hope for, or they're your dreams for your children, which God never promises. Uh, they may come true, but I no, the, the, the hard, cold realities about parenting for Jesus followers can be very different. So stripping away what maybe you think in, in, a, in a very um, uh, positive picture of what it's going to be like to be a Christian family, let's get down to reality that is proven Genesis through Revelation. The cold realities are, first of all, there are no guarantees for parenting. What do I mean by that? Well, many of you will quote uh, Proverbs 22.6. You've learned it yourself. You, you trust it. You think it's going to work. And it says this, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is bearded, is what it literally means, uh, when he is old, he will not, he will, uh, not turn from it. In other words, what you do right now is like that wet cement of a foundation. 
and you are shaping and you are molding what that wet cement will become like. And the idea is that when they are older, then they will go back to it. They will never turn from it. So we quote that problem, that proverb, but there's one problem about the proverb. It was written by Solomon. Did you ever study Solomon's son who took over after he died? He never read the proverb. He never practiced the proverb. He was a loser. He was a bad king. He had a big ego. He didn't know how to serve. There were many things about him that that you just say, where, where did he go wrong? The problem is, is probably twofold. It looks like Solomon was so busy with all these wives that he never spent time with his kids. He did never himself train up a child in the way that, should, that they should go. And understand that Proverbs are, are giving, there's a high probability. This won't be true all the time, but most often it will be. So I understand that some of your biggest heartaches in this life, what do they deal with? They, they deal with your children who do not seem to want to honor God in their lives, or maybe they don't even know how to live with integrity. And you're kicking yourself. Parents, there are no guarantees. Just like you have free will, you pass it on to your children. They have free will. But you have to understand that using free will, they often find out, you know, I chose this, it looked good at the time, and guess what? It didn't work. I know what I'll do. I'll try it again. They try it again. It didn't work that time either. About the 17th time, and I'm just speaking about myself, maybe I had to review the situation. Maybe because of uh, trial and error, maybe there's a better way to get this done. So that was what your children will go through, as they have free will just like you. For a season and maybe forever, they may reject you, and they may reject God in their lives. But the general rule is that your input and your example will have a great effect and it will help your children stick uh, in terms of their uh, respect for you and their admiration for you. Uh, The second thing is that facts are facts. That's like it is what it is, which I refuse to say. I'll never say it is what it is again because it's trite and it's hackneyed and it should never be said it is what it is. Okay, so facts are facts. You might have heard parents talk about their own children. And, you know, they talk about all the mistakes maybe that their children are, are making. And then they end with this. But she has such a good heart. Well, that's great to know. I've never found somebody put in jail for a good heart. So it's nice to know that that person has a good heart. My Bible and my experience says I don't have a good heart. Jeremiah says the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? I don't even know my own heart. And I spend a lot of time trying to discover it. I find that my motivations and everything, often everything I try to do is so selfish, so self-centered. And and so, you know, I I can fool myself if I don't examine myself. and, And not to mention try to fool those around me. So Proverbs uh 20 verse 11 focuses on this. And Jesus affirmed it. It says, even a child is known by his actions. You see that? By his actions. 
whether his conduct is pure and right. Many hundreds of years later, Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And and as Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you know a tree by its fruit. In other words, what is produced tells you what exists. Uh, I don't care about the heart, what the tree intended to produce. A lemon's a lemon, and lemons grow on lemon trees. And Jesus reaffirms this as he says, good fruit will always reflect good trees, bad fruit the other way. Olives grow on olive trees. It's just the way it is. Now that does not mean that we cannot make mistakes and still be known for good fruit. But we can reform. But over the long run, this is a hard, cold reality, our lives show what type of person we truly are. It's our actions. Good hearts will reveal good works. First is that understand there can be fast starts, but it always doesn't result in happy endings. You can start off quickly and effectively, but you can't always say that means this is how it's going to end up. Sometimes things and people change for the worse. I applaud you who choose a type of education or a type of family lifestyle for the, for the thought of this is what will produce the best child possible. These, in, these uh, influences, these choices that you make, uh, they, however, may not last forever. Now, I'm one as an example who had to change a few things late in high school. But I came to this realization that the life I was living was not the life that God wanted me. I had a later start, and I was not sheltered much except when I was at home. I had a decent moral background, but I didn't have a decent Jesus background. God was never a part of it. In in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul uh, reviews this this wonderful account where the Hebrew children uh, are witnesses to God's great power and his great glory. He spreads the Red Sea apart, and they walk through on dry land. And then the sea closes. What a mighty God we have. They have no bread, and he provides bread every morning. They have no meat, and he provides quail. He does all these things for them. And so, of course, their memory of him, their respect for God, their honor for God, their obedience to God will last forever. No, it was about seven days. Moses has to go up to a mountain, and he's there for quite a while, uh, several weeks. And as he is gone, this fast start, this, oh, how awesome is our God, slowly erodes away. So these are the people who experience the power and the glory of God, and now they get bored, they get drunk, they make idols, and God leaves them in the desert to die. They die naturally. But they will not inherit the promised land that God has offered to them. I have to understand, no matter how well I'm doing now, I'm only one or two bad decisions away from ruining the rest of my life. 
I don't care about my track record for 50 years as a believer. And by the way, it's not a perfect track record. I don't care. I'm only one or two decisions. The next decision I make could be the disastrous one. And I'm capable of it. So fast starts do not result in happy endings or good endings all the time. Uh, Now, let's get to this passage because now he speaks to the family values, understanding that we are not always in control of things like we would like them to be. And as he gets to the family values, again, he starts with children. And he says, children, verse 1, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. When he's talking about obey your parents in the Lord, he's talking to the children who are Christians. And what he's emphasizing there is because you are a Christian, this is how you operate. You are in the Lord. You obey your parents. The question comes up, because I was in youth ministry for for a decade or more. Well, what about my parents who aren't in the Lord? No, no. It's not obey your parents who are in the Lord. You obey your parents because you are in the Lord. What if they ask me to do things that I know I shouldn't do because I'm in the Lord? Talk it out. Let them know your conviction. If it's not going to be a disaster, you probably need to... You know, do what they say. When you look at it, though, it's not about who gives us orders. But it's the role that our parents have in shaping our lives, the influence that they will have. If they give us instructions that are good for the whole family, what they're trying to say is, it may not seem that good for you right now, but it's good for all of us. Therefore, it's good for you. It's called the rule of the roof. Ever hear that rule? Rule of the roof. Many of you live by it. Many of you grew up by it. You're under my roof. You're under my rules. Choose the right rules if you're going to be using the rule of the roof. So he begins by saying, obey. And so when a command is given from a parent, because we are Christians in the Lord, we try to obey it. Now, my parents, I've been an orphan now for 23 years. Um, But Barb's parents are still alive, or at least her her stepdad and her mother. And, and, you know, we try to deal with them, and they're not ordering us around anymore. In fact, they're asking us to give them some orders. But but, but it's one of those relationships. Now, the, the second part of being a child, and by the way, if you are alive today, you're somebody's child, right? Test tubers? No? Okay. So you're somebody's child, and you have DNA. There was a mother. There was a father. An even deeper word that's used here is the word honor. Children, honor your father and mother so that you may live a long life in the land that the Lord has given you. Now, this is a direct quote. It's from Exodus. It's one of the Ten Commandments, the fifth of Ten Commandments. The last, the first four deal with our relationship with God. The last six deal with our relationship with one another. And the first of those six that deal with our relationship with one another is about the home. God's focus for human relationships is first and foremost on the home. So this goes beyond obeying, but obeying might be one way in which you honor them. Now the word honor is a, a, it's a commercial word. 
uh, at least in the Greek, it, it means uh, if, if you're buying a bottle of water, what is its value? And what he is saying is the way that that word progressed over the, over the decades and, 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 and centuries was uh, give them a very high value. Honor your parents. Give them the highest value you possibly can. Now, I understand that some of us, when we look at the personal problems we're facing in our lives, we admit that we're facing some of these problems because of the mistakes made by our parents. And I get that. We call ourselves victims of their choices or their behaviors. But if you look very carefully at what it says here, it says, by honoring them, God's going to do something for you. By honoring them, God is going to do something for you. Let's look what that says. Verse 2. Honor your father and mother. And then he gives a comment. It's like he's a commentator. So he breaks off from, uh, from Exodus chapter 20. And he says, which is the first commandment with a promise. And then he states what the promise is. That it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, good people can die young. We know that. But this is like a proverb because it says, you know, God will bless you as you honor your parents. It is something that he will reward in your life. And yet many of these children would have to admit, you know, my, as an example, my dad takes me to church. My mom doesn't believe. My mom takes me to church. My mom, my, my dad doesn't believe. He doesn't like church. Gee, he was the only man ever in all of history to not like church. Let's face it, guys. A lot of us don't like church. It's too social. I'm way too old to be telling you how to live. I get these things. I know why church is hard. Uh, And by the way, may I say, I really honor your children who drag you here. I think that's wonderful. And that maybe while you're here, a lot is going to happen. So it is a command with a promise. If we honor our parents, God will bless us. It's not a command of merit. Your parents do not have to earn your respect or your honor. It's not what they've earned. It's command of victory. No matter what they have done for you or to you, unfortunately, in the Lord it says you can honor them. And it's a command of faith. If parents have children who are Christ followers, then you understand that part of following Christ is honoring your parents. That's just part of the faith. That's part of the fruit that you bear. And you will have good fruit. So... To this same church, just a few years later, Paul writes a letter to a pastor called Timothy. And it's probably just three or four years later. And Timothy, to Timothy, he instructs him, who is, who's acting as the pastor here, he tells him that the widows who have Christian children, they're to be honored by those children. They're not to be put on the roles of being, of, of, the social justice roles, but instead they're to be on the family roles. 
Widows are to be cared for by their children. And then if their children can't help them, or if they do not have children, then the church takes care of them. It is the children's responsibility for mom and dad as they grow older. Now, that does not mean that you have to continually bail them out or that you have to to enable them. But even in those situations, you have to lay aside the, you know, the honor that you think you've earned by taking care of them, and you just take care of them. You take care of them not because they cared for you well. You take care of them because you were in the Lord. It's just part of the structure he sets up. You are a Christ follower, God the Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, says, take care of them. It's very simple. Now he has one verse, just one verse, for, for the parents. Oh, I, and that, that, per, that verse really is directed because it says fathers. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, what that tells me is by bringing them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord, I have to understand there is a set amount of information that I have that I want my children to pick up. And uh, the home and the church are the only places where those are going to be distributed. They only come from those two sources these days. I came from a moral home, but there was no teaching about God. So it's the home and the church that do this. And it's... To the fathers, he says, now, understand, you want to do it in ways that won't have your children angry at you and frustrated because they just don't measure up. Three children. I was the better math between Barb and I, but the better one in math, and that is just marginal, okay? But I was the better one, so I said, okay, when we get to... Algebra and geometry and trigonometry, leave it to me. And I'll get them through this. I didn't realize that each of my children would learn the same content differently. So because I did it with one and it worked, well, of course the next two are going to learn it the same way. Not so much. So halfway through, watching me frustrate and exasperate my children, I had to pick up another way to get through Algebra 1, Algebra 2, Geometry, Trigonometry. And then when I thought I had that one done, oh, the second one works much better, I had a child who thought completely different. I had a child who wasn't a classroom learner. And, And so you learn another way. It is so easy for me as a dad to exasperate each one of my children. And there are times in which I said, you'll thank me later. (laughs) Let's see. The oldest is 38. Never a thank you. (laughs) The youngest is 29. Still no thank yous. And the middle one, yeah, anyway, I think you get the picture. Thank you, Dad, for teaching me Algebra 1, Geometry, Algebra 2, and Trigonometry. That was so good. And by the way, you need to know there's no such thing as trigonometry anymore. If you haven't learned that, it's gone, okay? But anyway, uh, I kept teaching it, and they refused to learn it. It doesn't exist. So uh, 
here, you know, I used, I had to learn to use methods that were natural to their makeup, to their character, to their nature, so I wouldn't exasperate them. Now, one of teaching, uh, Jesus' teachings has given me uh, some, some thoughts over the years regarding this idea of parenting. And, and that is, what would be the core values that you want your children to pick up from you? In other words, you're to, uh, not to exasperate them, but to bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Did you know that the core values of the American culture might be a little different than the core values that God has for his church, for his families? Let me just mention, too, that I think are, you know, I hope you'll nod in agreement. Two core values of the United States of America. One for younger parents. For you younger parents, it's called happiness. As long as my children are happy, everything will be okay. The second core value is, probably for most older parents, as long as my children are successful, I don't care where they find success. But as long as I can look at them and be proud. Two core values. Do they match with God's? Are they the same as God's? I don't consider them evil per se. Uh, you know, I, I don't consider that, you know, you never want those core values. Now, I'm about ready to, um, to speak to what Jesus said and apply it to you as parents. He didn't apply it to parents. He was applying it to his disciples. I'm applying it to parents. And I want you to know, some of you are going to be saying, ouch. Some of you are going to want to email me tomorrow and tell me how much you disagree. And I want you to know I accept your emails and they should be sent to david.muir <laughs> at bergenparkchurch.org, okay? And he will be glad to get them and interpret them and delete them because they were wrongly sent. Okay. Um, The greatest inheritance you can leave for your children is not enough, or I'm sorry, is not how much financially you can set them up with when you go. The greatest inheritance you can leave for your family is an authentic faith in Jesus Christ. I know many poor followers, poor financially, of Jesus Christ, who I admire. I knew many, I know many rich followers of Jesus Christ. I don't admire as much. It has to do with that relationship. So Jesus looks at his disciples. And, and, and he's just gone through this, who do men say that I am? And, he, and that now he begins to, you know, and, and they tell him. And, and so, uh, and, and, and so what, they are, what his disciples are pinning their hopes on is that they're going to have success. Jesus is going to come in. He's going to, you know, he's going to kick the Romans out. He's going to set up shop and become the king of Israel. And, and they will all be members of his cabinet. They're looking at success. And with success will come their happiness because they'll have so much power. And so Jesus looks at them and he says, no, look, look, as my disciples, I just want you to know, if you're going to be a follower of me, you will have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and come after me. 
And then he says, what good will it be if a man, for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Now, in our minds, we think, and this is common in North Evergreen, and, and many of us can pull it off, we can have a great faith, and we can have success, and we can have happiness. But Jesus is saying here, now wait a minute, you may not get them all. What will you choose? Because if you're going to follow me, you will be, uh, you'll find yourself denying maybe some of these things. So if it turns out that you can only get one or the other, which will you choose? And if it turns out that your child or your children can only get one or the other, which will you choose? Which do you hope your children will choose? And I'll tell you right now, their first choice, unless they learn otherwise, will be what you chose. That'll be their default. That'll be what comes up on their screen most often. What you chose, because you see, when you look at your children up to the age of about 10, uh, much of their life values, much of their practices, even some of the habits you have, that you know, they're looking at you and they come from you. We understand that 40 minutes of children's church can't replace a vacuum of faith that might be there in the home. But after the age of 10, they learn best from their peers and from other heroes. And so as parents, we're constantly faced with, uh, you know, how do we decide what's most important for them? And they're going to be learning by what was most important for us. Most important for them, if they had to gain anything and it was only one, would it be the world or their souls? And the measurements... Of, you know, of our culture is happiness and success. They're not bad. But they shouldn't be primary. And I warned a couple parents here today. So, you know, they might have already walked out. Okay. I had to tell my children, I can't go to your Sunday morning sports games. And they said, we understand, job, Dad, you have a job. So for them, it was my work. But I had to tell them that. I went to the coaches, and I said, really? Sunday morning? Oh, we're not in charge. We're not in charge. Well, someone's in charge. It just didn't, you know, it's not like the golden calf. You just pour the gold in, and up comes a calf. Someone made that decision. Well, it's only for a season. And then you have first-level playoffs, second-level playoffs, fourth-level playoffs. And it goes on and on and on. Um, I've had to tell my children that neither good grades nor good character come naturally. And I've been a great example of that. I've had to tell my children that as much as I love the honors that they get for their hard work, What I really love is watching them help others who need them. I really love watching my children as parents. That's cool. Um, And these are things. So, you know, my, my parents, I mean, my parents, my children have received degrees. They've received awards. They've received promotions. 
But if Jesus says it's denying yourself, then you love watching them help others. So let's go back to Moses for just another minute or two. Way back at the time of Moses, God gave a game plan for healthy souls. And the transfer was to be happening from parents to children. There, was, there wasn't a school per se. So mom and dad were the classroom. And they had to be the consistent examples. And so as uh, Moses is reminding uh, the Hebrew children as they're about ready to enter the land, this is what he says. Um, I want you to make sure that you understand passing the baton of faith to your children is first and foremost, it is job one. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts, impress them upon your children, not exasperating them, but impressing them. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, make God talk a part of your talk. What happens when they roll their eyes? Keep talking. No, I mean it. Just keep talking. You want to know what's going on in their lives, but, you know, as you share your life with them, that should be part of of your conversation. Passing the baton of faith is job one. Let's get honest here. Um, The chances of your children, as smart and as beautiful as they are, of getting a free ride to Harvard University are slim to none, and slim just walked out the door. (laughs) It's probably not going to happen. The chances of your children getting an athletic scholarship to a Division I school and playing professional sports are about the same. However, if they do, you're set for life. But it's probably not going to happen. The chances of your children becoming followers of Jesus Christ because of the example that you leave for them are very high. They have free will. They may reject him for a season. They have the freedom to do it forever. But the chances are that it will last and it will communicate. Uh, I've had this for three years. I know how to turn it on. I know how to answer phone calls. But this, for many of you millennials, has become your primary communication device, PCD. It is your primary communication device. It does everything but floss your teeth. And there's an app for that, I guess. Okay. And, and, and so understand that as many of you have, have cut your landlines, you, you just carry this around. And so now on your cell phone, I, I'm going to throw out some areas. You can handle all your finances. You can handle all your emails. You can handle all your, uh, all your photographs and, and whatever. You can handle all your entertainment. All on this. Wow. Truly amazing. God's a little old-fashioned because his primary communication device has been, is, and always will be mom and dad. Always. Always. And it works. Let's pray.
Father, for an inexperienced man, thanks for guiding Paul in your Holy Spirit so that he could help these very young Christians coming from a very non-Christian background. Help them determine what a marriage, what a family, what a Christian home, and next week what a Christian business is like. And Lord, I know that as we are thinking today, many of us come with very deep wounds about the homes we grew up in. Others of us are numb, not hurt, but just numb. Some of us are mourning the loss of parents. And many of us as parents pray for our children continually. They are our deepest concerns for this world. Thank you, because this is what you meant it to be. Not the deep wounds, but the understanding that mom and dad, together with their children, are so effective with one another, so shaping of character. that you present a plan to make it work. Lord, now I do pray for those that are in trials, uh, those that have major decisions of how they're going to do this, whatever it may be, may you guide them to your wisdom and to your truth and through your grace, allow them to navigate this wonderful season well. And we ask this in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.